0: Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz, and our special guest co-host for the night, John Brightman. Hello, John. How are you?
1: Hey, guys. How are you?
0: I will say hi to you well before I say hi to these two clowns. So uh, we are here to talk about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night. We have a fantastic show lined up for you tonight. Of course, uh, I want to say hello out there to the Burke family, Stephanie and Brendan, welcoming their baby girl into the world last week. So they will not be; she will not be joining us for, I think, another couple of weeks at least. Uh, we want to give her time to recuperate and, and get away from us. I don't blame. So we we got to get to the point where you know. And it might not ever come where she'd rather come and deal with us than, than a screaming baby. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'd take a screaming baby over us. Not that her baby's been screaming. Uh, everything is great uh, from what I've heard, everything's going That's very good. well. Uh, I don't know how much you know the older baby is hanging up her first child. Uh, I don't know <laughs> I haven't talked to him, but uh, you know lot, lots of love go out to them, and uh, not only from us, I'm sure, but from also the entire audience. And if you are new to the program, welcome. Because we have a lot of new people that have been tuning into the show, and I'm seeing it on Twitter right now. Uh, a lot of people tuning in for the first time. Thank you for that. You can always, always watch us on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. I say always, that's if it's actually working. And it's working uh, right now, right? Uh, as far as I know. We're so doing okay. As far as I yeah. So uh, if you ever, you know, got nothing to do on a Saturday night and you want to listen to the show live, just go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the Spooky TV tab. It will take you right into the live video streaming from the studio so you can see everything that's going on uh, here in the studio. And you also have the option there, you'll see the little window to be able to tweet live we with We don't us. know what's going on with We have you. no idea what's going on right now. But uh, you can actually join in the conversation by tweeting us using the hashtag Spooky live. And you don't have to be watching on spooky TV to be able to do that. You can be sitting at home listening on the radio. You can be listening on the Radio Pup app if you're out and about and you want to just plug in your Radio Pup app, uh, plug in your smartphone to your car stereo or what have you. The Radio Pup app is the way to do that. Lots of different ways to hear the show and see the show and experience the show live. But if you can't do that, there's always the podcast and the YouTube videos, which are always available following the airing of the program. We've been doing a pretty good job lately of getting those podcasts up by the time I leave here at night, and and usually getting the YouTube videos up as well, provided everything works okay with with the streaming broadcast. So, Not to toot our own horn, but we're finally doing all the things that we promised people that we were going to do. And we're
2: pretty much up to date on our, our old archives.
0: Yeah, everything's up there. The uh, I mean, uh, the HipCast issue is still a problem, and it does not. I contacted them a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's probably not going to be fixed anytime soon in terms of being able to access everything through iTunes. Uh, you can only access the most recent 100 episodes. However, they are still available all on our website via the RSS feed. So you can still get. Uh, we'll, we'll be hitting our ninth anniversary coming up on January 27th or 26th. So it'll be our ninth anniversary, so we'll be entering our 10th year of broadcasting, and so that means there's plenty of free archives for you to listen to. And our guest co-host tonight, John Brightman, he's been on a number of those programs over the years. Uh, You've been everywhere lately. You've been traveling all over the place. Uh, Is your season over now? Can you kind of relax a little
1: bit? Pretty much. Got one more show coming up. Going to do the Walker Stalker Con down in uh, New Jersey, and that's in December. Other than that, I'm done till. Probably February.
0: Well, you're in a little bit of a different position now too, because you now own and operate a business, and so you will uh, be putting a lot of time and effort into that. And at the same time, you'll probably be doing a lot of convention stuff related to that as well.
1: Yeah, and some. As I was telling Matt and Matt earlier, and a little surprise coming out. I can't say too much, but uh, February and March, you'll see a new show coming on that I will potentially be on a full cast member. Nice, so.
0: nice. Can you give us any any it, like network information? Or?
1: Um, yes, it will be on uh, Destination America, and it's going to be something to do with the sea. Nice. I like So It will be paranormal-related, paranormal but it's all to do with sea.
0: So uh, can you swim? That's the question that I cause... Oh, I love water. Okay, good. I, I'm
1: good. All right. it, it's, it's some of the other cast members, I don't know. <laughs>
0: you know, I can tell you, and, 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 you know, you and I worked on a story. You, you actually gave me a story for the Haunted Objects book yeah. uh, about some of the stories related to some of the maritime legends and curses. Uh, but I actually interviewed one of the Wicked Tuna captains uh, for, uh, you know, just general talk for an appearance that they were doing. And, you know, they were telling stories about, you know, ghost ships that they talk about that they go out there and see. So, I mean, there's all kinds of paranormal stories related to the sea so I'm excited to see where this could actually go. It
1: is and that's and that's what I was telling Matt and Matt earlier. It's not been done yet. I mean, you know, the shows that are out there, they go after the warships, things like that, mm-hmm. you know, aircraft carriers. But nobody's ever done anything about fishing ports or actual fishing ships. So that'll be interesting.
0: Which, when you think about it, you know, being around the water, it should be amped up with yes. activity. And, yeah, so that's very exciting. And, and, and I do want to give you the chance. Why don't you plug the business as well, too? Oh, uh, Brockton Ink Tattoo and in Brockton Mass. And so if anybody's looking to get some ink, that's the place to go. And uh, you can also share some paranormal stories as well. Absolutely. Now, what's probably the craziest tattoo somebody's come in with? <laughs> um, actually, it hasn't
1: been at this shop so far. It was at another shop I worked at in Rainham. A guy came in on a bet from his coworkers and uh, had to get Daffy Duck, Elma Fudd, and Bugs Bunny on his butt cheeks. <laughs> um, but Bugs Bunny was jumping out of somewhere else.
0: Nice. And
1: uh, I had to tattoo that.
0: And, <laughs> and when he popped out, he looked around and he said, this ain't the way to Albuquerque.
1: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so that was probably the weirdest one that I've had to do.
0: Well, uh, and I don't want to give anything away. I don't want to actually uh, name any names here and give away the surprise. But I I uh, found out that there is somebody who is actually getting a ghost stalker's tattoo. Really? So, yes. Uh, she, she's not from around here, but she's getting a ghost stalker's tattoo. And all I can think of in my head is at least wait till there's a season two before yes. you make that kind of <laughs> <Yes>. commitment. <laughs> but I do appreciate the love, and, and uh, thank you for, for the support. She should get a picture of John Tenney's face on her then. That would be awesome. I'd love to have like John Tenney's face tattooed on my chest, giving the Tenney eyebrow. That would be pretty awesome, and, and and have like one of his many many quotes that are going around e- there. Either
1: that, or our, or the guest that's on tonight get get Johnny House's face on you with the big beard coming off the you know, that <laughs> that would be pretty funny. I,
0: I think I would have to like grow my chest hair a little bit more and have that become part of the tattoo. <laughs> and uh, and and Johnny is uh, is a great guy. He's going to be joining us coming up in just a bit to talk about the Velisca axe murder case. Now this is a story that we haven't really gotten into over the years here, and I scratch my head all the time to say. How have we been on the air now for almost nine full years, uh, right here in this corner of southeastern Massachusetts, where our biggest legend is Lizzie Borden, and how have we never had on the man who knows everything about the Veliska Axe murder case, which is very closely related uh there's a lot of creepy weird similarities to lizzie borden and we'll get into that and a whole bunch more with johnny and a lot of folks out there when i started tweeting out and putting up that johnny was joining us tonight to talk about Velisca, a lot of people thought that it had to do with the fact that there was an incident there uh just a few days ago i don't know if you heard about this yet john i just caught wind of it today Uh, apparently there was a paranormal investigation going on there which is what happens at the house all the time it's always open for investigators And this person was injured with self-inflicted stab wounds. And that's all the information we have. He was transported and then airlifted. Uh, He was listed in critical condition. It was one report, but then there was another report that said that the family and the victim did not want the information released. So who knows what's going on? Who knows what the real story is? Uh, And so this actually came about after I'd already asked Johnny to join us on the program. Because so, we've been going back and forth uh, for a couple of months now about when we could actually get him on. And he's so busy with all the stuff going on at the house, I think it probably just... Worked out that because they're probably post-Halloween, slowdown, you know, he had a Saturday night off, so we agreed to have him come on the program. We figured this would be the time to do it, and then sure enough, that goes and happens. So we will get into that a little bit as much as Johnny can discuss it, but really tonight we're going to be discussing the history of the case, uh, the whole story behind it, and some of the activity that takes place at that house. We'll also give you a sneak peek of an upcoming Ghost Stalkers episode, the season finale actually takes place not at Velisca, but at another location that Johnny has investigated frequently and he shared with us some of his experiences there and I believe he will actually be appearing on that episode. So we'll have all that information coming for you a little bit later on in the show as well. Uh, I do want to say and I know that you know, there's certain people out there I'm, I'm looking at you Barry, certain people out there that don't want me to over promote Ghost Stalkers on Spooky South Coast but I have to say that last week's episode you know we, we made the switch from Sundays to Thursdays so the new episodes now air on Thursday so that we no longer have to you no longer have to pick if you're going to watch Talking Dead or Ghost Stalkers. you no longer have to pick if you're going to watch Sunday Night Football or Ghost Stalkers. you can just tune into the program and uh, and live tweet with us uh, of course uh, Chad and John are part of the live tweet every Thursday night and David Roundtree and myself but in, wa- in watching that switch and seeing everybody come over, you know, you get a lot of new people on a new night who are just discovering the show for the first time. And a lot of people who are watching Destination America not because they are looking for a paranormal show, but because they like the programming that goes on during the week. There's so many different types of shows. So they just tune in to see what's on. They find the show. They get sucked into it. And they might not be interested in ghosts at all but they're interested in the story that's being told. And that's what really impressed me, not to to toot the horn of of a project that I work on, but it went beyond just a simple investigation. I don't know if any of you guys have the chance. I know, Matt Kosse, you haven't had the chance yet, but the Holmesburg prison episode. In researching the locations, I knew it was going to be a good episode. I knew it was going to be, because it had a good history. It had, you know, any time that you have guards that tell you, I will tell you anything that you want to know about that place, but I'm not stepping foot in there to film.
1: It's funny because I actually looked at the place. I never knew what it was. I would leave Fort Mifflin, Philadelphia mm-hmm. area. I'd drive by it on the highway. I knew it was a prison. Never right. knew what it was, though. Had one of my guys do some research. Didn't come up with much at first and I always wanted to check it out and then it was funny I saw you know you guys advertising that it was going to be on this past week and uh
0: it was hard man it was hard and and kudos go to Justin Narragon our story producer who really did a lot of the digging and making the connections to get in there but it was it was a lot of convincing it was a lot of you know uh, assaging the fears of the prison system who still own the building uh, and and dealing with some of the former guards and and Dave Adams, the warden who actually gave the tour on camera he really had no interest in ever going back there and it took a lot to get him to go back in there and you can even see in the episode his uneasiness and his, his nervousness at being back in there because he saw some gruesome things. He had somebody die right at his feet inexplicably he had friends that he knew and worked with murdered in the very office that he had to then work in for another seven or eight years so it was um, it was just amazing to, that people were that profoundly affected by it that they didn't want to go back and you can see in the episode what actually happened to the to Chad and John when they're in there investigating and it sh- it goes to show that Moniz, you know this you've been doing this for a long time paranormal investigation isn't always just about what you discover From the other side. Sometimes it's about what you discover about yourself as well.
2: That is wholeheartedly true.
0: I, I know that you have dealt with a lot of uh, different types of phenomena, different types of activity over the years. A lot of it you have a very cavalier attitude about. You know, you can come at me and tell me, well, I was dealing with this demonic case with a family, and, you know, I'm sure that there's probably something a little bit more to it. You know, and you, you seem to be pretty grounded and everything. One of the few times I've seen you actually shaken up by something, I think it was at a prison. Was it at Eastern State where you actually had something surrounding you? Yes. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Uh,
2: that unnerved me. Only for the simple fact that this thing made no bones about what it was doing in front of everybody else. Um, I, I've met a number of different people down there, It's close friends, um, a mutual friend of ours, Melissa June Daniels. Who is listening it, tonight. Uh, yeah, hi, Melissa. And uh, this thing literally just kept circling and, and taunting me and uh the group that I was with actually got this on audio and I believe some video of it. It was, I would say, one of the more menacing things I have encountered. I mean, when you've got something that's growling and hissing at and yelling at you as it's circling you, and it made no bones about singling me out, and everybody there knew it was singling me out, and they were all in, you know, surrounding me and watching it. Well listening to it going around me in the dark.
0: It was just eerie. And that prison is part of the same prison system with Philadelphia as Holmesburg. Holmesburg was actually built for the overflow from Eastern State. Uh, So you're dealing with a lot of the same type of criminals, a lot of the same type of activity. Uh, The difference being with Holmesburg, they had the terror dome in the middle. And I don't know the layout of Eastern State. I've never been there. But
2: it's like a hub with spokes coming out. So it's roughly about you, the same, same you, kind of layout. If you
1: look at the overview of both of them, like the aerial shot, mm-hmm. they're pretty much identical. Similar, yeah, I, I would, think each state has some so. more extra chambers yeah. or tunnel ways, but
0: they're pretty identical. So you've got the same type of, of, of layout where you've got all this negativity, all this evil existing in all those wings, all those cell blocks, that's all coming into a focused concentration. In the dead center, in the middle. And then when you look at Holmesburg, they built what they call the Terror Dome inside the middle, which was intended to protect the guards from riots. But as Dave Adams told me, the problem with that Terror Dome is, yes, if a riot broke out, it protected the guards that were inside of it. But those guards couldn't get out to help the guards that were outside of it. So it was basically signing off the death warrant of all your friends that were outside of that dome, and then you have the survivor's guilt of knowing that you were inside of that, and that you were able to make it out while they didn't. Uh, and the fact that you know the, the the murder of the warden and the assistant warden that happened, uh, that was even more nerve wracking for them because that almost seemed like all the inmates were in on it. The riot broke out. These guys were able to sneak into the warden's office. and So, so many of these different things that happened uh, just shows that it was a place of e- of evil, of negativity. And the, all I could think of when I was researching that case was Matt's experience at Eastern State and knowing that there's got to be something to this. There's got to be something to why that kind of darkness can still exist there and be concentrated and continue. Even though people haven't been in Holmesburg since 1995, it's still there. Well, you still have... These people that were nasty, dark
2: individuals to start with. Yep. You're going to if you're going to prison. Generally, you're not a nice person to start with. And so.
0: we talked a little bit about this last week with Keith Johnson. But it's uh, part of it is the nature of evil. What if there was something attached to these people, uh, even one or two of them? What if one or two of them had some sort of negative force that was influencing their life, and then that came to Holmesburg or Eastern State or any prison with them.
2: Well, think about it. You've got a collection of nasty, quote-unquote, evil
0: people. That's going to be
2: a beacon to anything around if you're to follow that line of thinking.
0: And the, the, what I thought was interesting about this is we were able to take it in a in a turn and say that instead of just being a place where a portal exists, like we have in other episodes because of different environmental factors or what have you, we were looking at it as a possibility of maybe man created that portal. Maybe man took all of this threw it into one big giant area, let it get concentrated, let it get saturated, and it became so great that it ripped a hole, it ripped a portal from one world into another. So, you know, it's just another interesting way of looking at it. And that's what I like about being able to do this show, is we get to kind of put out those theories when normally, you know, you don't, Have the opportunity to do that because other shows are worried about you know proving if there's a ghost there, and we're trying to move forward and say okay, well let's accept there is and see what else we can find could be the reason why. So makes me uh, makes me very interested as a viewer, and I haven't seen these episodes. You know, I saw the first one at the premiere.
1: Saw the first one, that was it.
0: But I haven't seen them before they come out, so. I'm watching them along with the viewers, and (laughs) when the Holmesburg episode was over, I finished tweeting with everybody. I said, "All right, that's it. I got to stop. I'm going to watch the episode now, start to finish, because you know it really sucked me in." And. That's. I hope that other people are having the same reaction to that. Uh, you can let us know what you think about it. You can always email us spookycrew at spookysouthcoast dot com. You can tweet about it using the hashtag Stalkers or even tonight using the hashtag Spooky Live as well. But we're going to get into another case, uh, a case that will not be featured on Stalkers, but at least not in this round of episodes. Maybe somewhere down the line. But you have seen it on other programs, uh, and I think that Ghost Adventures went there, right? Mm-hmm. And Ghost Hunters, I know, went there. Mm-mm. No, they never went there?
1: No, Ghost hunt- it was Ghost
0: Lab and Ghost Ghost Lab. And All right. Ghost and Adventures. I knew there was another show that went there. The uh, Velisca Axe Murder House in Iowa. Uh, we have alluded to the case before in the past, but we've never discussed it completely and fully. We are going to do that tonight with our guest coming up in just a bit, Johnny Hauser. If you would like to call in at any point during the program, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. Those are the numbers to call in, and they'll write up on the website at SpookySouthCoast.com. If you would like to call in at any time, you can do so. Try and keep it to the topic, but maybe toward the end of the program we can have a little bit of open lines if people have questions or comments or anything they'd like to share. Uh, and also you can tweet us, again, using the hashtag spooky live. If you use that hashtag, it will pop up right on our feed here and we'll be able to read your tweets. Also you can follow us on Twitter at spookySC. You can follow me personally at Tim Weisberg. You can follow Matt Costa at Smoking Monkeys. These are all spelled out correctly. On our, uh, on our website. You can uh, follow Matt Moniz with smoke signals and uh, <laughs> and hieroglyphics because that's where he's at technologically. Uh, John, you have a Twitter?
1: Just John Brightman.
0: There you go. So uh, you can follow along with all of us individually as well. We're going to take a break. When we come back on the other side, we'll be joined by Johnny Hauser talking about Volisca and the axe murders that happened there and all the hauntings that have happened ever since. Stay tuned for more Spooky South Coast here on WBSM. Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz, and our special guest co-host for tonight, John Brightman. And joining us on the line, we have the man, the myth, the legend himself, the one and only Johnny Hauser. Hello, Johnny. How are you? I'm doing
3: spooktacular.
0: <laughs> He's been listening to the show. and <laughs>
3: yeah, You know, I'm telling you, every week I got to drive about an hour and a half, so I always listen to the the reruns on podcast and i've become a huge fan of you guys so
0: well we appreciate that
3: finally be on here
0: thank you and it's a long time overdue because you know we we only deal you you and Velisca and and us here in fall you know right outside of fall river mass we only deal with two of the most famous axe murders in history
3: exactly and like our place constantly gets confused with the lizzie borden house it does really I don't know how many times I have people say, no, I've seen the crime scene photos of the dad on the couch. It's like, uh, wrong place.
0: <laughs> well, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you see enough of it on the paranormal shows. Uh, either way, it's easy to get it confused, so.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I don't know how you could confuse Lizzie Borden. It's such a insanely popular, you know, story. I mean, everybody knows it from the nursery rhymes and everything. It's just iconic almost.
0: But but that's what's interesting about your case and and, and where you work with Veliska and handling uh you know the research and the history of that is uh, it's not as well known and it's it's uh, it's an even more gruesome case but yet when people find out the details they're like holy crap I didn't know that this happened
3: yeah you know it was a pretty well guarded secret for a long time um, and you I mean honestly we're literally out in the middle of nowhere out here you know if it happened in Anywhere else, it'd probably be a lot bigger sooner, I guess, than it is now. But, you know, Iowa, this small town of like a thousand people, it's literally... Surrounded by
0: cornfields. <laughs> yeah, see, we don't get that around here. Even even in our small towns, we get you know five, six, seven, ten thousand people, and and for some reason, the New England stories they make it into all the books. You know, the Yankee Magazine picks up on every kind of weird and, and strange tale here. So we don't get to fly under the radar like that. Uh, but with this story, I mean, when about did it really start to to come out? I mean, obviously the, the the murders happened in 1912, but when did it start to to seep into the public consciousness? Was it something that was big Big news then and then went away for a while or was it something that was only really recently rediscovered
3: uh, it was you know popular locally for you know since it happened I guess but it really didn't reach the mainstream until oh early 90s uh, sci fi's haunting evidence did an episode and then shortly after you start getting like the top ten most terrifying places on travel channel mm-hmm. um, you know Pretty soon after, we got, like, uh, Ghost Lab, um, Ghost Adventures, Dead Files, you know. And honestly, like, Ghost Adventures set us over the top. I mean, that was the one show that, you know, I I love Ghost Lab. I love Dead Files, and they all did really great, you know. But Ghost Adventures were just insane, the amount of people that are still coming that have just seen that episode. And that was, like, three years ago.
0: So now the house itself uh, has been uh, under private ownership, and but it is open for people to come and take tours and, and to conduct investigations.
3: Exactly. Um, in 1994, the town of Ballista was going to bulldoze the house and put up like storage lots on the property. And Darwin Lynn, who owned the town museums, like, gosh, you know, it's it's horrible, but it's history. You can't. It's a huge piece of Iowa history. It took the headlines off the Titanic. You know, you destroy the town's history, you destroy the soul of that town. And so he ended up purchasing it. and um, he, he always said, told me that it took him a couple months before he told his wife, Martha, and he said he was on the couch for a while afterwards. <laughs> but she wasn't too thrilled at first, but she said, you know, if you insist on doing this, this is out of your pocket. There's going to be no grants, no taxpayers are paying for a penny of it. So it's still private property.
0: Well, and I guess, you know, when you have that option, it does give you a lot more you know, as you know, it's harder when when there's a, a municipally owned building and paranormal investigators want to come in. There's a lot of red tape involved. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, and you can run into a lot of trouble because if it's being seen as being used as a private enterprise, you know, people want to come in and conduct their own events or their own tours. Uh, it causes a lot of headaches. So having it be privately owned probably makes it a lot easier to keep it open for research, too.
3: Exactly. And, you know, I, I'm a big history nerd like first and foremost, and around here there's a lot of the underground railroads. Um, of course, you know, when slaves were trying to ex- escape slavery, they'd take these underground railroads and, like, make their way up to, up north. And there's a lot of those buildings around that are just sitting empty because they can't afford to keep them open. And I've said it's like, you know, open it up to paranormal research. The paranormal community are full of great, respectful honest people and you know, maybe that can give you a little cash to keep the doors open. You know, even if there's no death or anything that's happened at these these places, there's definitely a lot of emotion. I mean these people are running for their lives. It had to have imprinted on the building at some point.
0: And that's what we always try to tell people that have, you know, access or control of historic locations is that, you know, this can be a whole new avenue of tourism for you and a whole new way of generating income at a time when it's hard to get people interested in history, especially local history. You know, uh, if it's seen as a place where the school wants you to go on a field trip, then people lose interest in it after they have to go there, after they're forced to go there. And it's a shame because there's a lot of great history uh, that needs to be preserved that's fallen by the wayside.
3: Exactly, and, you know, I've I've spent a lot of time going to other historic landmarks around Iowa in our area. You know, we're not too far from, like, the Jesse James house where he was shot. Um, and what gets me about this is the Axe Murder House, every day for day tours, like an hour before we open, there's a line of people, teenagers, like, excited. And they're here because they most likely want to you know, they've seen it on TV and they want to experience right. something, but they hear the history before they even step foot in the house, you know?
0: Which is uh, another key part of it. You know, we always say that paranormal research is uh, more about the research than it is about the paranormal. And if you <laughs> do <don't>,
3: uh, <laughs> Exactly. You know, it's like hours and hours and weeks and days researching the history, and then maybe you'll hear a footstep if you're lucky. <laughs>
0: And and it seems like with this case and with with the Veluska with the Morehouse, it needs to be you need to know the history going in, because the history that has happened there is so intense that you could be putting yourself into a situation that you you don't even understand if you're not aware of the history. If you're not getting that tour and that information ahead of time.
3: Yeah, and like I, we were talking before, you know, people get the cases mixed up. There's so much false information on the internet. Imagine that. <laughs> um, <laughs> My spiel, I condensed down to like 15 minutes, and I'm barely even scratching the surface. But, you know, at that point, I can start seeing people fidgeting and getting bored of me talking. So I kind of let them roam the house, and they can approach me for questions later if they have any additional. But, I mean, the story is insane what happened there.
0: Well, let's get into that, because, uh, again, you know, being here in in the shadow of the Lizzie Boyden case, uh, I think a lot of folks aren't familiar with the details of the Veliska case. And I know the paranormal community in general uh, has heard of it, watching Ghost Adventures, watching Ghost Lab, Dead Files. But uh, for a lot of, you know, just the general listeners, why don't you give us a breakdown of exactly what happened? June
3: 9th, 1912, uh, which was a Sunday, the town of Aliska had a church service, which was more or less an end-of-Sunday school event where the kids would sing songs, put on skits. And that got over about 10 p.m. Uh, the Moors, which were a family of six, come home with two little girls named Ina and Lena Stillinger. Now, they were friends with their daughter, Catherine. They had a sleepover. Uh, the next day, Mary Peckham wakes up the neighbor at 4 a.m. and starts doing her laundry. Pretty soon, she notices... You know, they should be up by now. She said there's an odd stillness surrounding the house. She makes a series of phone calls, gets the relative down. He walks into the bottom bedroom, finds Ina and Lena Stillinger. No idea who these two girls are laying in bed. He obviously sees they were dead. Runs out, gets the authorities. They go upstairs and find six more bodies. So there's eight total, six kids, two adults. Um. Right off the bat, they did sort of an analysis of the crime scene. The axe was left in the house. There's raw bacon laying on the floor, uh, food at the table where he ate, bloody water by the back door. Every mirror was covered with articles of clothing. Uh, All the shades were pulled, cigarette butts, you know, footprints, the oil lamps were at the edge of the beds, tops put under dressers. A lot of weird crime scene placed around. The doctor opens the window at 8 30 and yells dear god there's somebody dead in every bed they go up to city hall to get a detective from kansas city by the time they come back down you have half the town inside the house oh. and uh, you know they it, it got so bad that national guard got involved they created a perimeter got control of it eventually took the bodies to the armory Uh, By the time anyone gets there, the the bodies are gone. The crime scene's destroyed. There's no crime scene photos. You know, they question townspeople for five years.
0: Hmm. Well, I was going to say that uh, when you have even rudimentary forensics that they had back in 1912 uh, certainly would have been put, to do the test and having that many people in there, because you're already dealing with uh, just very preliminary uh, abilities to, to be able to use any kind of forensics, and to have all that contamination come through, is it was it solely because of the uh, you, you know the rubbernecking factor, the looky-loo factor, or was it because maybe they were trying to cover something up themselves, maybe maybe they wanted to make sure that nobody found out who committed the murders.
3: I think at first it started off with, uh, you know, the women in town knew that Sarah Moore was a meticulous housekeeper, so they started wiping up the blood because they they knew that she wouldn't want people. You were station for that.
0: Sorry for that. What's that? Oh, my computer just fired off on its own. You listen to the show. You know that happens.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, pretty soon the guys went in. They start passing the axe around as kind of a, this was left. Oh, wow. Um, You know, before long, people were just going crazy. I think it's just more of a shock. Looky-loo, you know. Um, We're talking, this is middle of nowhere in Iowa. This isn't, like, big city. You know, nothing happens here. And this is like, whoa. You know, people couldn't believe it. So I think they just wanted to see it, which blows my mind because that's the last thing in the world I'd want to see.
0: Yeah, well, but I mean, some folks, you know, they, they like to watch a car accident as they, drive, as they drive by. And and some folks have that, you know, at least it wasn't me attitude toward it. Uh, and and I think the the biggest problem with it is, too, is if you're dealing with, as you're saying, a place that's kind of in the middle of nowhere where nothing ever happens, it's probably the biggest, most exciting thing that had ever happened to a lot of these people.
3: Exactly. You know, this was, like, just unheard of. Um, The town constable uh, was a farmer up until a year prior to this, so all he really had to deal with was how so-and-so's chickens are in my yard again or so-and-so's drunk. You know, nothing of this magnitude. That's, like, Kansas City stuff, you know?
0: Right, but just some of the details you were giving us about the way that the crime scene was left. I mean, this wasn't somebody just coming in, committing these murders, and then sneaking out the back door. It sounds like somebody was in there for quite a period of time.
3: Yeah, and in fact, uh, Ina and Lena Stillinger had coverings over their heads like sheets. When they lifted that, there was no blood stuck to the sheet. So, I mean, he waited for the blood to dry. Hmm. And that personally tells me, I mean, that this guy had done this before because you know if if this is the first time with somebody you'd think they'd be fumbling around and wanting to get the heck out of there but this guy's like comfortable comfortable enough to eat you know that's just a certain kind of psycho
1: hey johnny how you doing it's john brightman hey buddy how you doing good good hey i got a question for you um with the with the two children that weren't part of the family could is there any chance that maybe the cops now or even back then thought that maybe it was somebody to do with those two girls like maybe somebody part of their family would just the way you explained how they waited till the blood was dried then covered their head almost like out of respect do you think it could have been somebody to do with her, with that side of the family
3: well uh, pretty immediately well you know throughout those five years of looking for who did this i mean everybody was a suspect and Ina and Lena's father was a suspect for a short time. He was kind of a hard-working farmer who thought, you know, school and church is foolish. The only place a kid needs to be is at the farm working. And they quickly went and interrogated him because they heard he was kind of a grumpy guy and quickly found out the complete opposite. I mean, he was just beside himself. He said that they'll never forget how pretty they looked in their white dresses skipping off to work and, I mean, the mother lost, she was pregnant, she had a miscarriage a few days later due to the stress, so, you know, they they instantly kind of backed off that angle, but they did check into that.
0: Hmm. And, and just for the record, Johnny, we brought John Brightman in tonight because we felt that we didn't have an ample number of uh, tattoos and, and facial hair, so we, we had to bring him <laughs> in for some of that.
3: Yeah, yeah, he's a good buddy of mine. We, we've we had a few good times down at Scarefest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well.
0: So uh, when when you say that you believe that this uh, that the the murder had actually done this before, I mean that's a, a very uh, a very keen observation because you're dealing with somebody who, if it was something that happened in a, in a fit of passion, if it was something that happened in a, in a moment of panic, then that person wouldn't have been comfortable to eat. If you or I chopped somebody up with an axe and, and saw what was left as a result, I don't think we'd have too much of an appetite afterwards. And, and it shows almost a, a psychosis involved in this.
3: Exactly. And, you know, like the weapon was J.B. Moore's axe. It was grabbed from the coal shed, which there is an angle. I mean, there's a million angles to the suspects and scenarios. One of them was a hired hit against J.B. If you're a hitman, one, you're going to be in and out. Two, you're going to have your own weapon, for crying out loud. Three, if they had guns and knives back then, could have found them in an alley. Yeah. There's no breaking and entering. Nothing was stolen. There's a gold pocket watch and money left on the dresser. I mean, this guy came in just for one reason.
0: Hmm. And and it it sounds like somebody that was probably under under some sort of uh, you know. some sort of evil cur- uh, evil possession, some sort of evil intent. You know, this wasn't done for somebody who wanted to just see what it would be like to kill somebody. This was somebody that wanted to do something gruesome and wanted to really send a message in some way.
3: And that kind of, you know, is a good segue into Reverend Kelly, uh, the only person that was ever tried for this. And he, in fact, confessed to the whole thing. Um, but Reverend Kelly, five 5'2", 120 pounds, he was a self-ordained schizophrenic minister who thought you had to commit the sins in the Bible to get inspiration for sermons. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he ever even read his Bible, but that makes absolutely zero sense. Um, he, the newspaper in town printed a, a story on him saying, Reverend Kelly's not a nut. He's a wheelbarrow full of nuts. <laughs> he's down here saying, oh, I work for the Queen of England. I'm her personal detective. I could solve this. They're like, Kelly, we know who you are. We invited you down. Uh, He got booted out of the motel for reenacting the murders on guests sitting in the lobby. Uh, Tried printing an ad looking for a secretary to type his sermons without her clothes on. I mean, he's a pedophile, pervert, and tom, you name it. And his confession is really creepy. Um, He said he woke up, heard a voice saying, rise, Peter, slay, and eat. Went for a walk because he wanted to write a sermon called Slay Utterly. Said he ended up across the street and this is in 1917. He says, I saw a shadow and I followed the shadow man to the shed. Now, nobody's talking about shadow figures in 1917. Right, yeah. You know, um, shadow figures is obviously a relatively new term. At one point, people thought they were aliens. At one point, they were interdimensional beings. Then they become evil. I mean, this is pretty, you know, 1917. They just thought this guy is completely out there. And he said the shadow handed him the axe and said, I am the door. He said he walked in, heard a voice saying, Let there be light, and he could see in the dark and there's scripture writing on, on all the walls. Went up the staircase, thought he was climbing Jacob's ladder to heaven. Ended up in the kids' room, a voice said, Suffer the children unto me, he goes, I killed everybody. Um he repeated it to state agents in Omaha. They took him back to the jail. He goes, finally, I can rest. This is off my back. And he goes, I didn't say that. Maybe I said it. Maybe you said it. I have no idea what I do. I'm crazy. You know, just really went off the deep end. Wow. They tried him for the death of Lena. That was like a media frenzy that went on for weeks, ended with a hung jury, tried him for the death of Ina. fully acquitted within three hours.
0: Hmm. And And it seems like this would be, I mean looking at his history, and again, uh, as you said, not everything on the internet is correct, but looking at some of uh, the supposed Reverend Kelly's history, it it says that he had been accused of peeping and that uh, he had asked young women and girls to pose nude for him, and and one of the female victims was found without any undergarments on, right?
3: Yep. And, I mean, that same thing with the Stillinger girl. Her undergarments were found under the bed. Um, In fact, whoever did it wiped the blade of the axe off with him, which is quite
0: mm-hmm. disturbing. So, yeah, I mean, he would make sense to me as a, as a, as a possible uh, murderer, but w- there were other other suspects as well, though, right?
3: Oh, yeah. Um, well, Lizzie Borden's uncle, John Morse, uh, really? lived 30 miles I from here. I didn't know that. And, yep. Um, the Borden family used to buy cattle from this area, and John Vinikin Morse lived in Hastings, Iowa that's where he's buried at today and as soon as this happened they're like oh yeah we know who did this and they went and they found him he died previously that year so they thought well he obviously didn't do it Um, yeah you know that's a a strange tie in
0: (laughs) I remember (laughs) when when we were talking for for Ghost Talkers I remember you telling me that story and it just blew my mind that there was that close of a connection between the two cases
3: Exactly, and you know, I I went just recently to Hastings and found his gravestone, and it's like right there it is. That's him.
0: And what what I found particularly interesting about it, though, is that even though you know you, you mentioned he had passed, there's also the possibility that he was involved in the board. And we've only got about four minutes here till the news, so we'll probably have to pick this up in the next hour. But you know, there there's. The possibility that, at least in the Borden case, he was involved in terms of he was the one that went out and hired somebody to do the murders. That He was the one that was in town to set everything up and that he left the house so that he wouldn't be home and so that he would have an alibi, uh, but that he might have gotten the wheels going for that to happen and, and maybe he went to Veliska and did the same thing.
3: Yeah, it'd be interesting to kind of further, you know, see if there's any run-ins or tie-ins with him and the family.
0: Especially where the the Moors were, were pretty affluent, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, they had their own farm implement business. I have a, a stock certificate uh, that JB, it's his stock certificate that he bought a $100 share in the CB&Q rail line six months before he was killed. This man made 14 bucks a month. That's almost a year's wage towards stock with a family of six. I mean, nobody's rich around here.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So that's Kind of a something that's always weighed on my mind is how did where did that money come from?
2: I got a question for you. Mm hmm. Were they was the father a member of the Masons?
3: Uh, no, I don't believe so. Uh, I'm about 90% sure that he wasn't.
2: Okay.
0: All right. Well, it's definitely a, a very interesting case, and, and, and I want to get into it even more coming up in the next hour. Uh, we will have to take a break for the news, but we can get more in-depth with some of the other suspects that were involved and, and some of the information. But I want to talk to you as well about the hauntings, about what's been going on there in the years since, what people have been experiencing. And I had referenced at the top of the show that there was an incident that happened uh, at the house just a couple of days ago. So we'll, we'll discuss that at least as much as can be done, because I've been getting inundated with questions from people uh, About that, and I was like, "Listen, I I know about as much as you know from reading the stories on the website, which is, I'm sure, Johnny probably about as much as you know as well." Uh, But we'll we'll discuss that a little bit because there's uh, the questions that a lot of people have uh, have to do not so much with just the. it, just the actual paranormal aspects of it and, and whether or not it was something in that regard, but just you know, whether or not we as investigators need to keep a closer eye on our fellow investigators. So we, we can talk about that a little bit coming up in the next hour as well. But why don't you let everybody know, we have it linked up on SpookySouthCoast.com, but let everybody know how they can find out more about the Velisca House online.
3: Um, if you go to www.VelliscaIowa.com, uh, and if you just Google Velisca Axe House, I think that's like the first page that pops up. Uh, Also, Bliscax House on Facebook, or me, Johnny Hauser, on Facebook.
0: And it's uh, V-I-L-L-I-S-C-A. Yes. You probably have the distinction of being the most uh, commonly misspelled paranormal case of all of them.
3: Oh, yeah. It was Basilica, (laughs) yeah... Every variation of
0: There <laughs> There's places in like Germany and Czechoslovakia that have less trouble being spelt than Voliska. But and, uh, you
3: know, there's only one Voliska in the world, and that's because it was named a Walliska. And uh, do we have enough time, or we? Oh uh, we
0: got about ten seconds, so we'll, we'll pick this up okay. uh, on the other side of the news. Perfect. All right. And uh, we will take a break for the news. When we come back, more paranormal discussion with our guest, Johnny Hauser. Your calls as well, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. You can also tweet us using the hashtag Spooky Live. If you do that, we'll be able to see it right there on our screen. Back in a moment on Spooky Health. Self- number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz, and our special guest co-host for tonight, the big guy, John Brightman, joining us here in the Spooky studio. You can watch it on SpookySouthCoast.com slash TV or the Ustream app if you use that as well. Just search for Spooky South Coast. You can also... Uh, join in the discussion. Sorry, I was blanking there for a second. Join in the discussion on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com using your Twitter account and the hashtag Spooky Live. And if you use that hashtag, all your tweets related to the show will show up right there on Spooky TV, uh, and we can also follow along with it as well on our Twitter because we're not we're not so I'm getting better at the Twitter. I have to say, I, bro- oh, yeah. I, bro- I broke fifteen hundred. Hey, that's pretty. Good. I have more Twitter followers now than the Spooky South Coast account. It's like the first time it's ever happened. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, we've been tweeting That's out right. of that account for a long time, right? And, uh, and, and we've been doing a good job of building that up, but I, I just never really did much personally, which is funny because I'm a sports writer, and they like want you to tweet and do all that stuff, but I never really got into it. But I think now I'm into it because it's more interactive. There's people there to talk to, so it's not like I'm just yeah. throwing things yeah. out there and nothing's ever coming back. So I like to have conversations. I don't like to talk to myself.
1: I still don't get the whole idea of Twitter. Eh. I, I,
0: I can see the I see the, the the positives of it and I see the negatives of it as well. There's there's been some drama this yeah. week. Yes. but uh, we'll just leave that alone we're, we're rising above <laughs> uh, but uh, you know so if you want to follow along with us at spooky SC is our Twitter handle and you can tweet about a tweet about the show using the hashtag spooky live as well so that's the way that you can interact with us you can also give us a call 877-996-1420. and for those of you who are out of the listening range of WBSm or for those of you who uh, are not watching on spooky TV and you want to just listen to the show you can use the radio Radio Pup app, uh, which all you have to do is go and look in the station search of the Radio Pup app, type in New Bedford, and you will find WBSM, and you will be able to listen to us live. And not just us, but all the great WBSM programming as well. And I want to say hello to the Dark Matter Radio Network audience. We uh, always rebroadcast on the Dark Matter Radio Network each week. So uh, hello to all of you who are listening. And uh, also, you can... View the show on YouTube as well, which we have a lot of people that are doing that lately. And there was one other thing that I wanted to plug in terms of how people are accessing the show. Ah, yes, Stitcher. Stitcher has uh, been acquired by another company, uh, and they've were, they were acquired another company, and it's growing, and it's even bigger and better. Uh, so you can actually listen to us on Stitcher as well, and we're also on TuneIn for people who use that. So it's everywhere. See, that's the thing. We don't. We, we can't keep track of where the show is. There's
2: so many things, so many options.
0: Well, when we first started doing this program, we thought, you know, we're doing it for the local audience, and all right, maybe we'll record it, and we'll try this podcasting thing and see what happens. And I remember debating about it. We're like, what, 10 bucks a month? Do we want to commit spending ten bucks a month for the podcast? <laughs> well, that's coming out of our pocket, man. Right. So uh, you know, it was a lot of discussion about whether or not it was even worth doing it. And of course, it was because we have people listening to us all over the world. We thank you for it. I hear each week from people who tell me that you know, they love the show. I heard from somebody who listens in China uh, just last week. Uh, people in Japan listen to the show. Norway, uh, folks in Australia, New Zealand. I never would have thought that would ever happen. I, I totally crazy.
1: totally agree with you because I've noticed right after we always do the Bridgewater Triangle show, mm-hmm. my website gets hit from Norway, China, all different places like that that during the week at normal or any other time of the year it wouldn't. So you're absolutely right about that. It's, always
0: always the biggest show of the year too. Uh, the, the entire worldwide audience wants to know more about the Bridgewater Triangle, so we're happy to bring that to you. And we'll actually be doing a follow-up show coming up from the Bridgewater Triangle investigation show that we did a couple weeks ago, where everybody that captured some evidence and had some experiences, we want to have them all come back and share with us what it was that, uh, that they encountered while they were out there. It's something that we don't always remember to do. When we get into the holiday season here, and things get busy, but we will definitely do it this year. But uh, tonight we are talking about the Villisca axe murder case. Our guest is Johnny Hauser, and he is going to be continuing the discussion with us if you have any questions for johnny you can just give us a call at 508-996-0500-877-996-1420 and we were mentioning before the the news break johnny that uh, the house is open for paranormal investigation and it, it how often are there people in there it seems like it's a uh, pretty busy especially this time of year
3: yeah it's pretty well booked solid i mean we uh... Used to book a, about a year in advance, and then wow. people were just forgetting that they booked. So now we kind of do six month increments. But you know, it's pretty solid. We get people from all around the world, and a lot of return visitors. And you know, it's it, it's been great to meet a lot of like minded people in this field from all over all over the world.
0: It- I guess, though, when you have a case like that, that is, you know, we see it with Lizzie Borden. It's not just about experiencing the paranormal for a lot of folks and and, and paranormal research. A lot of folks are true crime buffs that want to come in and want to try to be the one to crack the case, to solve the case. You must get a lot of that as well.
3: Oh, yeah. We do a lot of forensics classes, criminal justice classes, psychology classes. Um, I've had a lot of homicide detectives stay the night to College professors, to Catholic priests, to doctors—I mean, all walks of life.
0: How did you personally get involved with the house?
3: Well, I've always been a weirdo. Sorry, <laughs> um, <laughs> right. we like those around here. Me, yeah, I, I tell my wife, "It's like I don't know any normal people." You know, talking about aliens and you know string theory is like normal to me. But and, you know, for me, it started off with. You know, cryptozoology to UFOs. I'm a big conspiracy theorist. And then the ghost thing just kind of happened. You know, I ended up out here, um, befriended Darwin, the owner. You know, he was in his 70s. And I love history. I'm a huge history nerd. And, like, pretty soon he's just asking me, he goes, You want a job? You're here every day talking to me. I might as well pay you to be here. (laughs) So back then, you know, we had the. the museum in town also and you know I did a lot of senior bus tours and schools and you know pretty soon it just kind of morphed into the overnights as well and you know I right off the bat I was like uh, so can I like go in there anytime I want and he's like yeah I've had it so I started staying the night like crazy you know um, I had to have the keys to the place so it's like you bet I'm in there like Every night investigating, sure. you know, trying to come up with evidence. And for me, like, it's never really been about trying to prove the existence or coming up with an awesome piece of video, which I love watching people's videos. But, you know, unless you have a Lincoln ghost in a scientific laboratory answering questions and for two months, I mean, skeptics will always find a reason to disprove something so for me it was just my own personal um and that's kind of how i got wrapped up into the whole thing and pretty soon you know here we are now i guess
0: well what what was your first paranormal encounter that you that you can define as being something unexplained uh, at the house Uh,
3: yeah one of the very first and you know i'm very skeptic at the same time um so while I believed in ghosts, if this makes any sense, I believed in ghosts, but I couldn't get it in my head that this place is haunted. It's like, oh, come on. Okay, let's see these ghosts. And as about seven years ago, every day before the day tours, I'll walk the house to make sure it looks good before I let people in, and I hear stomping across the floor upstairs in the kids' room, and my thought was some drunk dude broke in here, passed out, and now he's waking up. At the time, we had no, well, we still have no police in Villisca, um, which is sad but true. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, I'm the cop. i got to go deal with it. I have, there's people waiting. You know, there's nobody I can call, and I went up there, and there was absolutely nothing, and my friends are like, oh, House's it's like I know what footsteps are at this point in my life, and that was stomping. And that was probably one of the very first things uh I, that's when i really started investigating this place pretty pretty specifically only this place for years and years because i thought well i have a place that obviously has activity let's study this let's find trends let's see if there's certain you know certain, like certain dates that these things happen moon phases anniversaries whatever can i predict paranormal activity, um, different pieces of equipment, what works, what doesn't, when does it work? And I really started delving into that keeping logs of other people's information and um you know, and now it's just kinda of run its course for me and I've moved on to other places of course, but you know, that's what really kinda of got me wrapped up in Balliska in the story. Like I just fell in love with the story and the family and those poor kids, I mean, come on.
0: Well, and obviously, too, the the activity predates your involvement with the house. I mean, when did they first start getting, when, when did somebody start to realize that there was more to this house than just assorted history, that there was also some activity going on?
3: Um, you know, there's, the par- people wanted to stay the night. And Darwin said, why on earth do you want to stay the night? And they said, well, paranormal investigating. He goes, what in the world's a paranormal? That wasn't even a thought for Mm -hmm. him. It was pure history, 100%. He had his hand in the Johnny Carson birthplace, which is the next town over. I mean, this is what he did. And finally, you know, Darwin hated telling people no. He's just a nice, good guy. And so he finally started, you know, some paranormal teams out of Omaha wanted to come down and Um, Pretty soon radio stations caught wind of what was going on, so they wanted to come down and watch the investigators. And I remember one time he said there was a paranormal team, and they were getting kind of upset because the whole yard was filled with half of the town wondering what's going on, excited, are they finding anything? And that's when he said, you know, people are having a lot of fun, and they're smiling and laughing, and maybe that's what this place needs is happiness back into it. So he started opening it up. Um, people start uploading video, audio to their websites, to YouTube. Not, every one of the TV shows that have come, which have been a lot, including, like, the movie Sinister, I mean, just on and on. We've never made one phone call to any of them. Uh, that's all people contacting us, and that was important to Darwin, too. He's like, the paranormal happens, but we're about the history. We're not going to solicit it if they want to come possibly, if it's a good show, you know, so that's, and we've turned down a ton of shows, really bad shows that have wanted to come. It's like, what? Do you even know what this place is? Yeah, I can,
0: I can imagine some of them. I've I've seen some of them. (laughs) So, (laughs) well, it's good though that that was the approach though, to, to, to think that yes, the paranormal is important, but it's not. Primary, because a lot of folks will fall into that now because it's hot, because it's popular, and they'll fall into that, and you know they'll they'll overbook it, and they'll they'll have it become uh, almost a, a liability to have people in there investigating the paranormal because they're causing more harm than good. Uh, so it's good that there was always that balance there.
3: Yeah, he he always told me, and I've always told every you know history first, and the house is just the house. You know, we're not going to cheese it up. It is what it is. Uh, If something happens, something happens. If not, then it doesn't. You know, Um, he always told people, he's like, you know, the paranormal just happened and you can't ignore it. You You know, you can only ignore it for so long before finally you're like, okay, something else is going on here that needs some attention too, and some answers.
0: I, I, I mean, really, with a with a place with a history like that, and with a backstory like that, it would be easy to keep it open all the time for paranormal research based on the history alone. It wouldn't mm. have to deliver, you know. Just the fact that the, the, these people were murdered there, that they were killed by an axe there, would be enough to want to draw people in. But it seems like the house delivers too. I could, like, yeah. Gosh. I can't. yeah,
3: you know, and it's not one of those things that, like the house was popular before you know a lot of the tv shows come i mean i opened it up to a bigger audience of course but the house has always sustained itself
2: now i have a question for you about the case itself Mm -hmm. all of these eight people were killed in bed correct correct all right now is there a possibility or was it checked to see if they, they could have possibly have been drugged in some case because yep. there would had to have been somebody, you know, creating some sort of ruckus trying to defend themselves unless, you know, like there were were there any defensive wounds to to the bodies, you know? Uh,
3: yeah. You know, right off the bat, the thought of ether was possibly involved. And I guess that leaves a pretty distinct odor on the corpse. I have no idea. A
2: very distinct Obviously. odor in the house. Yes.
3: Um and they checked for that and they yep. came to the conclusion that nothing was involved. Uh, the oldest Stillinger girl was the only one with a defensive wound. She had like a mark on her arm, almost like she went up the block. Um but you know, you gotta take all the investigating kinda with a grain of salt, you know, it's like how how well was it done? I mean we didn't know anything here in Belisca. And you know, even with fingerprinting, I mean, the first fingerprinting crime was what, eighteen ninety something?
2: Eighteen uh, eighties you know, actually was the Jack the Ripper case was one of the first ch- uh, times that they had used um, fingerprinting, if I'm not mistaken, Scotland Yard.
3: Yeah, yeah. So uh, modern forensics was in its infancy. Yeah, you know, but a long way from Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, we mentioned some of the similarities between the Velisca case and the Borden case, but the way that they were murdered, albeit with an axe instead of a shotgun, but the fact that there was that number of people killed in bed, uh, that somebody had to have made a noise, but yet... You know, nobody seemed to have reacted to it. It's well, very similar to, to the Amityville case. case. They, yeah.
2: hate, they were shot in bed, point blank, with a thirty caliber hunting rifle.
0: And granted, those neighbors were a little bit closer, probably than in Villisca, but still, I'm talking in the house, right? You would think that people would have yeah. a reaction. To they still say what that was that going there was on. two people in that. That's, that's still know, one of the I'm, theories. I'm a yeah.
3: Hunter. You know, I've heard the claims of, oh, it was thundering that night in Amityville. Come on. If anybody's shot... You're still going to
1: hear a shotgun.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's no mistaking that with thunder in the next room. Give me a break, you know. Uh, But, yeah, you know, it's very similar. It's like, how can you kill that many people and nobody wakes up? And I asked one of the forensics groups, I was like, you guys are the experts. And they said, you know, the best we can think of is he cinched up towards the head of the axe, delivered like one, two blows on each person to incapacitate them, came back, Delivered more blows afterwards. Uh, that was their take, but you know, it's all open uh, speculation, interpretation. I mean, it's who knows? Uh, we have no idea what happened. Uh,
0: but again, that sounds like somebody that would have uh, a pretty sound idea of what it was that they were doing and in, 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 in premeditation to be able to do it in that manner.
3: Yeah, I mean, if that's the case, the guy definitely knew what he was doing. Like we were saying, if there's a first time, he's going to be fumbling all over the place, tripping on stuff, freaking out, getting out of there. Um, to me, it was a skilled killer. You know, I hate to use the word skilled, but somebody that knew what they were doing. Now, That's You something. said
2: that the oil lamps were found at the foots of the bed?
3: Foot of the uh, Ina and Lena's bed and the parents' bed, and the tops were put under dressers. Uh, The wicks were all the the way down. And that's, you know, there's uh, about 25 murders with an axe within a three-, four-year period from Colorado Springs, Iowa, Kansas, Illinois, Missouri, all, uh, all very similar to this. Like the one in Kansas, family of five, I believe it was, I might be mistaken on the number, Sunday evening as they were sleeping, mirrors covered. You know, Colorado Springs had the oil lamp at the edge of bed top under dressers. Hmm. My theory, traveling serial killer, these were his little calling cards because these idiots want to be known for what they do, you know. And His mark, his stamp, is kind of what I'm going with this month. It'll probably change next month.
0: <laughs> so, sure, right.
2: Well, I'll, I'm going back to your ether theory. That makes sense. If he takes the, uh, the shrouds off them and lowers the flame, that prevents a flashover because the flame. Uh, what happens is the ether vapors build up, and with the shroud around it, it it'll auto ignite. It, and if he takes the shroud off, it's going to burn normally, and it's not going to flash.
3: Very true, and you know I think this guy wanted people to see it, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was in the mob of people that went through that morning.
1: Now, have you have you ever? Had a group, like a scientific group, whether it be kids from colleges or some type of a um, reenactment team, come through and try and reenact the way it was done and try and piece it together like present day?
3: Uh, Yeah, um, quite a few, and myself included. You know, it's like you can't be in that house without just thinking, like, how did this happen? Like, how? I had people come in, and it's like, can I creep out of this attic without them hearing me? I mean, just, that's one of the theories was that the killer was hiding in the attic waiting for him to come home. Um, and I think it could be done. You know, when I first started working there, uh, not long afterwards, there was a murder in Georgia. A guy killed eight people in a trailer house with a hammer, and toxicology showed no drugs or alcohol. I mean, so that happened. And that was a big, you know, during the Kelly trial, one attorney saying, no way in the world he went in there and killed eight people without anyone waking up. But the other attorney saying, well, you're telling us all day how impossible this was. But it happened.
0: Yeah, you mentioned a very interesting, and we do have a call on the line. If anybody would like to call him with any questions uh, for Johnny, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. Uh, but you had mentioned the possibility that the killer could have been in that group of people uh could have been in the house admiring his handiwork which would be the the sign of a of a truly sinister individual but also would fit the profile uh of a serial killer of somebody who would you know want to be in that position and, and would want to take that kind of uh, pleasure in seeing his handiwork
3: exactly and you know that's one of the reasons i really wanted dead files to come i wanted uh steve is that his name mm-hmm. yep steve the yep I wanted his take, you know, homicide detective from New York. It's like, I want to hear your. And he's like, no way this was a two person job. This is like one sicko guy came in and did this. And he goes, I guarantee he is, you know, he, he thought Kelly did it. He's like, Kelly absolutely did this. Fixed the profile 100%. Hmm. hmm.
0: Well, we do have a call on the line for you again, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Johnny Hauser. Hello, you're yeah, here.
3: You? Can, you, can you hear me? Sure can. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. I thought I lost you. you have a, um, my, yeah, my question is for Johnny Hauser. Um You've been investigating the axe murder house for several years now, have you? you ever felt like anything followed you home or do you use anything to protect yourself from that or um yes absolutely you know i live in mary peckham's house her um, in her bedroom right now talking to you guys which is right next door literally like 10 feet um and the reason i really stopped investigating the place was because i was having a lot of stuff happen here at home that was you know affecting my daughter and Yeah, I I think it's cool. You know, I wish my house was like Carol Ann's bedroom on poltergeist, you know, stuff (laughs) lying around. But it really kind of made for not a nice home life. And, you know, I really kind of turned towards my faith to make it stop. And I just ignored it. And every once in a while something will happen here and I just don't even feed into it you know and it's been really quiet for a couple years but you know it at one point I was getting very moody very reclusive uh you know friends would come over and slam the doors why won't people leave me alone I'm sick of people you know and finally a good buddy of mine's like dude stay out of that house and so I stayed out of it and by day three I was back to normal um and pretty soon my wife who hates this stuff. She's scared of her own shadow, like literally is wanting to go over there. And I was like, ah, it's cool. She's getting over it, you know, wanting to get into ghost hunting for me. And, you know, my buddy's like, eh, I don't think so. So I I made her stop. And now you ask her, and she's like, yeah, I have no idea why I wanted to go over there. So it's like pulling her over. And so I, I mean, I distance myself as much from that place as I can while working there, (laughs)
0: Well, I mean, that does happen, though, where sometimes it can become all-consuming and you need to have a break from it and you need to get yourself away because you don't want it to, you know, you don't want that story to become your story. You don't want that to become your life.
3: Exactly. And, you know, we've been real quiet except for uh, our friend Scott and Krista from Ohio State Reformatory came down stayed a few days with us. And, I mean, this place was every day stuff was happening, but I'm pretty sure Scott probably had something come from him with with that place (laughs) because it stopped when they left.
0: I mean, it does happen. Thank you very much for the call, though, caller. Yes, sir. Thank you. Have a good night. Fantastic evening. And if anybody else would like to call in, again, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. And I'm going to just pat myself on the back there because I was able to hang up with the caller and not lose Johnny. So that might be, might be a first here on, on Spooky South Coast. But uh, one of the uh, questions that I would have, too, for, for yourself, you're saying that you are uh, getting away from the Villisca House in terms of investigation. Obviously, you're still involved with, with the tours and people coming in, but you are investigating other locations. Do you feel like the spirits that you have uh, made contact with at the Moore House have tried to reach out to you in other locations as well?
3: yeah you know I, I i personally i i love ghost stalkers. you know i'm i'm i've been close with tiny for a number of years and uh, i believe kind of the same philosophy it's like why okay everybody has the potential to become ghosts why are places haunted sometimes mm-hmm. you know, and i kind of you know the whole portal idea is wonderful And I also kind of think, like, some of these places are just like a beacon. Um, You go out in the woods and turn on a flashlight. You've got every insect in the world floating to you. You have one of these places where every night there's a revolving cast of people wanting to communicate. If you have something to say, that's like Grand Central Station, you know. So I've encountered things next door that have nothing to do with the house. I've encountered things at other places that seem to be Villisca-oriented. You know, it's just, it's strange. Um, I think we're just very in the infancy of figuring this out and piecing it together.
0: Well, uh, the main reason I ask is, uh, and, and you might have heard me tell this story before, I know that these guys here have, you know, I actually was involved, it was a Legend Trips event, but it was at a different location, and a spirit came through on the, uh, I was easy, either using the Shack hack or the sp 7 one of the two, and, it, was, it came through very strongly and very negatively in, in what it was discussing. And it said straight out, when I said, you know, what do you want to talk about? It said murder. I said, what kind of murder? It said axe murder. And I said, who is this? And it said John, which is a name that is, you know, associated with one of the entities at the Lizzie Borden house. And I said, well, what do you, where do I know you from, John? And it said Lizzie's. And so I turned the box off and I said, that's it. We're not using it for the rest of the night because I didn't want something... You know, from there, something that obviously had ill intentions to be creeping into this other investigation in another location that might not have necessarily been, you know, that type of activity. And also, as I made the joke at the time, uh, we were at the tower Tavern, which is a $99 ticket. Lizzie Board's is a $135 ticket, so it really wouldn't be fair, you know? Okay. <laughs> people that pay more. <laughs> but yeah, was, it, it, sorry, go ahead. And,
3: you know, it's like, I, I've never, I've always been confused about the idea of ghosts being trapped in a place. Uh, For me, it's like, why would these walls and stuff that exist in our reality right now affect them, you know, Um, which very well could be, but, uh, you know, who's to say they can go, you know, from one portal to another portal to other places, I mean... I think we're limiting, limiting ourselves by saying we're stuck in one place and cannot leave.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, and to think that uh, whatever is on the other side is that limiting. You know, we, we like to think that when you transition from this realm to the next, that you're going to have more knowledge and, and, and have more uh, freedom as uh, in that form. So we would like to think that somebody isn't, Forced to be stuck in that spot. Uh, but it seems like more often than not, when there's a tragedy, that can happen. And I'm not somebody that believes in people being able to go in and help spirits move over and, you know, move into the white light and all that kind of stuff. I think what ends up happening is it's such an emotional, uh, su- just such an overwhelmingly emotional event that it just, it's like a permanent stain. It's like punching a wall. No matter what you do, no matter what you do to cover it, the fact that you punch that wall will always remain. Mm
3: hmm. Yeah, and I, I believe that any place that has such a horrific thing happen, that imprints that negative energy will always be there. And, you know, is, is it the ghost of the soul of the person, or is it that energy manifesting as whatever it wants to?
0: Yeah, I, I concern. Uh, I get concerned about that, too. I get concerned about when if we are dealing with a place where there's been overwhelmingly uh, evil acts, like at Velisca that there is the possibility that there was something there that caused that to happen. You know, I throw that theory out all the time with Lizzie Bordens, and and people say to me that that makes a lot of sense, but Jesus, I hope that isn't true. Because, you know, what I'm saying is that there's something negative, something evil there that just drew the Bordens into it, and they they were just who were there at the time. And that maybe it's the same thing with this. Well, look what happened at the Borden property next door 20 years prior right there was there was a murder there uh, where the mother murdered her children and murder, took her own life yeah. yeah so i mean there it seems like there was something there that goes beyond uh just the evil of human beings and it used them as kind of pawns in its own game and i would hate to think that the same thing might have happened there as well that you might have a place that is not only has this evil presence over it but is now playing along to keep people going in there which kind of segues into my next question hmm. and I know that it's kind of hard to really discuss anything of what went on but uh, we had the story that happened the other night and I, I know you probably can't discuss too much about it Johnny but the situation that happened it was something that was out of the control of anybody involved in the house it was the act of the individual investigator that was there working uh, you know in investigating at the time but w- maybe there was some kind of an influence there
3: Yeah, you know, that whole thing is just, like, shocking and disturbing and, um...
0: Because you guys have never had anything like that happen before.
3: No, never. We've never had the cops ever come to the house for anything. Um, and these people, it's their third time there, you know, uh, normal, great people. I, I feel horrible for this guy, um... Just, like, waking up that morning, nobody told us. We heard it on the news. Like, really? And Martha's an older woman, and, you know, she's in tears over this. She said she just couldn't believe it. She's like, why would somebody do that to themselves? You know, she just couldn't wrap her head around it. And I couldn't either. Um, as far as what happened, I have no idea. You know, I... I don't want to speculate either way. Um, like, I, I hope this guy, uh, hes ex- from what I hear, he's expected to make a full recovery. and You know, maybe he'll come out and say what happened. Maybe he won't. I don't know. Um, but the whole thing is just, I mean, like, I, I teared up. Like, that morning, it's like, no way. No way did this happen. I thought it was a joke.
0: I mean, do we know anything about what 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 kind of an item it was that he that uh, the, that the stab wounds happened with? Uh, he had a knife. Um, I mean, what but, what type of knife were we talking about?
3: Like a, a knife, like a hunting style knife, it's a, pretty a, good sized blade. Uh, and you know, I, I've seen people it's like, well, why would you let him in there? Like, okay, we're in Iowa. You know, camo pants and a knife hooked to your belt is common. <laughs> <laughs> Clothing around here, that's nothing that's else than like, normal. Yeah. You know, I go to the gas station, everybody in there has a knife on their side. It's a big hunting, farming town, you know. Um,
0: so, I mean, it could have been something just as simple as, you know, stumbling around in the dark. Well, uh, you got to bear in mind,
2: uh, a knife is only a tool, and it only becomes a weapon when you use it as such.
0: Right, right. it could have it's been just, an accidental. Exactly.
3: And you, you know, honestly, like I have, I have no idea what happened. I mean, none of us have any clue what went down in that house. Like, it's it's one of those. It, I mean, it's just it's so horrible. And like, I pray for that family. And yeah, the one thing that I got out of this was like the paranormal. You know, we talk about paranormal unity, and like the paranormal teams fight and bicker and argue with each other. It's like a family. Families fight and bicker and argue, but when you need them, they're there, no questions asked. Like I I was really blown away by the outpouring of support with the paranormal community.
1: You know, I saw Um, I saw your post on Facebook, and uh, I I, first time I heard about it was with your post, and I was kind of shocked about it too. And you know, unfortunately, with being an investigator, and I think these guys here, and, and you'll probably agree with me, what what's the worst part about this is. Whether the guy does come out and say what happened or if he doesn't, you're always going to get those people out there that go, oh, well, it was the house that caused it. It was this that caused it. We're never going to know the true story possibly, and it's unfortunately going to give a bad name for the field, a bad name for the house, which eventually could stop all of us from being able to investigate places like Velisca or anywhere in, in general like that because they're going to worry about lawsuits and stuff happening.
3: Exactly. You know, it's a no-win no situation. It's just horrible any way you look at it. Um, And, you know, what gets me is, like, everybody in the paranormal community is very supportive. Like, I I love everybody so much for all the comments. The townspeople have been surprisingly very supportive with us. Um, But then you get the... The people making comments that have, have no idea about what happened mm-hmm. have never even been here. Like, there's one the lady goes, Oh, you need to shut the doors of that place. You're just enabling mentally unstable people to a place to do their crazy acts. And I'm like, Oh, you better shut down public schools and post offices, too, because their track record's way worse than ours. <laughs> um, yeah. And then you get the other person, and these are from people that aren't paranormal-related, just regular Joes, I guess you'd say. One lady's like, well, going on about the mental angle on this guy, which, I mean, I've talked to him several times. Seems like a pretty normal dude to me. Yeah, I mean, but it could be that. Going off about this guy, and, like, two posts under it, she has a banner about helping people with depression. It's like, you know. It's one or the other, you know. Don't sit here and cast stones when you're trying to... You have a thing about depression or whatever. It's like, you don't... Who knows what happened?
0: Listen, I I, I don't want to speculate too much, uh, but... It's entirely possible, it is possible, that the, the gentleman could be mentally ill and and could have been trying to do himself harm. It could be possible that he was trying to become part of the legend, part of the story. It could be possible that he was just trying to use a trigger object to get a rise out of the spirits and things went bad in the dark. All of these things are possible. And not one of them would be the fault of you or the people that are in charge of that investigation that night or the owner of the house. Uh, you can't hold everybody responsible for the actions of the individual uh, because people are going to make their own decisions and they're going to make their own choices.
3: Exactly. And, you know, once I found it out, like the, the angle of paranormal or being forced or, you know, like none of that's even on my mind. Like, I I was like, man, I hope this guy's okay. My thoughts are with his family, with him. Um, and, And then my second thought was not again. Like, I don't want to go over there and clean this up, you know. It's just too eerie to have. Yeah,
0: yeah. That being said, though, I mean, I guess now you kind of have to put a rule in place, you know, check your knives at the door, leave them in your car, whatever.
3: Yeah, exactly. You know, Martha's like, well, I guess we're going to have to put in no weapons. Disclaimer up is like well, you, But you can <laughs> use anything you can use a what We have to But right, you but
0: know At least eliminate The possibility And it's not for their own You know it's, I'm sure it's more To appease the insurance companies That are going to want You know Some sort of Waiver in place And some sort of You know Policy in place To keep people from going You know that Matt You, you see what we do With legend trips And the, the hoops That we make people go through I make you yeah. stand there And make sure everybody signs Before they come in
2: No but I'm just saying Yeah Okay so Nobody brings a knife that doesn't stop people from stabbing each other with screwdrivers or bashing...
0: Yeah, right, I mean, but you,
2: you can only... K2 meter against the head. Yeah.
0: And it, it's possible. I mean, you're, you're fumbling around in the dark. You never know what could happen. And uh, so it's a, it's an inherent risk in, in what we do, I suppose, because we don't really have to do it in the dark, but we do. So there's an inherent risk in that. And, and of course, the media is what bothers me the most about it, is that they jump all over it because the minute something happens and it's even remotely paranormal related they have to jump all over that angle it got to the point where I don't know if it's my own personal Facebook metrics because I'm involved in a lot of paranormal but it was the number one trending story on my Facebook trends yesterday because there's all these reports out there of people jumping all over it because it was on a paranormal investigation
3: and you know like that's what scares me the most is like it made the New York Times like before we even (laughs) knew what happened (laughs) And I live right next door. I, I'm the one that checked them in. And it's like, in every one of these news, quote, stories, I mean, I've seen one where it's saying the guy was in the yard stabbing himself multiple times, which is completely untrue. But come on. Yeah. They're already making it like a media sensation, which is, I, I don't want at all. Well, you, you know. know, sooner
1: or later, it's going to jump to eventually somebody out there is going to jump to well it's the forces that were in the house that caused Mm -hmm. the original axe murders they're coming out now and they caused this guy to do that you know somewhere in the news on facebook somehow some way that's going to get tied in
0: which could be possible but why him why that moment why not all these years before
1: oh absolutely but you know it's going to yeah and that's
3: you know sadly and like even like like I said, I'm not going to speculate and I'm sure this guy is going to make a statement and no matter what it is, like I'm not even going to entertain or comment, you know, with any future like ideas of that happening. Just cause, I mean, we'll never know. The only people that will know is that guy.
1: Have people and, been over to your house knocking on your door, like news reporters or anything, asking you questions yet?
0: Well, they didn't know he lived next door until you just blew up his spot, John. Now they know where to find him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he outed himself. That's yeah, you, you, yes. he
0: did, actually, earlier. Yeah. <laughs> no, you
3: know, and I was really worried. It's like, oh, geez, I hope there's not freaking news people out front of the house. I was like, come on. And no, there's been nothing, thank God. I, Martha's. Shut down the the news people pretty quick. Good. You know, she's like, I'm not going to say anything. This is with that family; it's their thing. It's not my place to say a word about it. If, if they want to talk about it, they can. But
0: has, uh, I'm has not
3: going to speculate.
0: Has she put the pause button on the investigations, or are you still going as planned?
3: Well, you know that was that was a big talk. It's like, what do we do? You know. Uh, and we're talking about an older woman breaking down in tears, which is heart-wrenching to sit and watch, you know. But it's one of those deals, if we would have closed doors, then the stories would have flew even faster. Of, right. Oh, they had to shut down because the uh, too dangerous to investigate, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a, And I hate to even equate it to this, but it's like the the terrorist thing, you know once you start living in fear and letting that rule your life, then they won, you know?
0: And not only that, you've got people that are traveling from all over the country to come there and investigate and they shouldn't have to throw a a monkey wrench in their plans because of one person's actions.
3: And, you know, exactly. And like, honestly, the overnight investigations have done more good than harm. Like not long ago, I did a, a group of, gang members, troubled gang members from a group home. And I ended up staying with them. And like at the beginning of the night, they're going, oh, you know, I don't know who my dad is. My mom's in prison. I can't wait till I go to prison so I could be a man. And Like that ridiculous mentality. Mm -hmm. By the end of the night, they're like, you know, we don't have it so bad. We have our lives and we can do anything we want with them. These people don't. And it changed them completely. And, you know, something like that shouldn't be shut down and paranormal people are good people
2: are you thinking about adding like a house chaperone anytime a group goes in now a Um, representative of the house just for security sake let's put it that way
3: you know we we've tried to in the past implement different ideas of, like, okay, do we have, like, a questionnaire for them to fill out to get, you know, how do, how do you weed people out from, like, serious investigators to people that are going to respect what happened in there?
0: The sad part is you can't. Everybody's money is the same. Everybody's yes. uh, reservation is the same. It's kind of the We go through the same thing. We all run events here. Yep. You know, uh, you, you can't get to a position where you start discriminating against one person over another. Because exactly. it's, not, it's not our job to decide who's serious and who isn't. Yep.
3: And, you know, the, the thing with being on their own is, like, you get a group of six people that are comfortable and have that bond together, and then you throw me in the mix just smiling at you all night long. It's going to be so awkward and weird for everybody that, you know, I, I think the best thing we can do is just keep keep on, keep going on and, you know, I uh, pray absolutely. that nothing like this ever happens again, because if it was to, then that would probably
0: be it. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Now, one question I want to ask, is, we're almost out of time, but uh, oh, we, we first started talking over the summer because you're involved with one of the upcoming, actually the season finale of Ghost Stalkers, and we really can't give too much away, but I checked the channel guide earlier on DestinationAmerica.com, and it does say that the episode takes place at the Farrar School, so we can actually discuss a little bit about the location itself, and when I heard this story, you want to talk about wonderful people that own a location and that are willing to open it up to people? Uh, you can't ask for a, a nicer owner than the woman who owns the Ferrar School.
3: Exactly. I, I love Jim and Nancy, you know, the run that place and own the place are super great people. I've done overnights at the school many, many times and events. And, you know, when I first went, I thought, uh, you know, it's just a school. What could happen? And and the place produces evidence, that's for sure.
0: And it it produces a a wide variety of evidence. It's not just, uh, you know, You'd expect going to a school that you would encounter some child spirits and that you'd have a lot of, you know, positive vibes in the air, too. But there, there's a darker side to that school as well.
3: Yeah, and, you know, that was one of the questions I, you know, hopefully will have answered is, like, well, why is it haunted? You know, what what is haunting that place? Something definitely is, but I, I could never figure out, you know, the the mystery to it.
0: So uh, a little behind the scenes info here. Uh, you did go and, and and filmed with the guys. Yep. So we'll we'll probably see you uh, doing doing uh, some some on camera interview stuff.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, it was, I, I'm super proud to be part of it because I, I absolutely love the show and you know, like you. seeing the episode, the the newest one at the the prison. You know the. Seeing Kenny like that just really broke my heart, and it's like I wanted to jump through the TV screen and run into that place to help him, and um, uh, uh, meeting Chad, you know, Chad <laughs> is awesome.
0: You just I said that you just said what you said about Tanny and the blood drain from John Brightman's face, and he's like, what happened? I'll, I'll tell you after the show. But, uh, you, you, you know, you're right, though. To, to see people that like John that you see that are experienced, that you know, that you've investigated with, and you see firsthand how he does things, to see something have that profound of an effect on him, uh, it, it just shows you that this goes beyond just the experience of, of – Encountering the other side It has to do with As we were discussing at the beginning of the show It has to do with How you stand up to it As a person And how you react to it And internalize it And it seems like You're somebody uh, Johnny That has come through This journey yourself and, and made your decision About how you can Face up to the paranormal
3: Exactly And you know to, Like talk to Chad I mean The dude is just so nice And he wears his heart On his sleeve And you know just, That hug between them At the end Is like man That is probably one of the more powerful TV moments I've ever seen. And I love the show because I've screamed in places. You know, I've teared up. One of my buddies collapsed and cried in a place. It's real. It's real life.
0: I've had people that were, you know, we live-tweet during the show, and there were people that were tweeting me asking me, uh, is John okay? Does John make it out of this okay? I'm like,
4: yeah.
0: He's fine. <laughs> like, he's okay. <laughs> he's tweeting right now. He's all right, you know? Like, people were that concerned about him because of everything that was going on, but uh, it was yep. just uh, amazing. My, and,
3: and, sorry, My wife won't even watch the episode. She's like, I don't want to see, you know, Tinny in that situation. She's like, I, I just don't even want to watch it. Which, you know, I mean, like, it, it broke my heart. Like, I love that dude. I've been close to him for many, many years, and it's like... The only bad thing about the show is now we have to share John Tenney with the rest of the world.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, you and John Tenney are in one of the the truly strange positions in the paranormal. I think it might be yourself and, and Tenney and maybe Dustin Powery of being like the only people who are not like nobody's ever said a bad word about any of the three of you. You, no. you might be the only one. yeah that's about right dustin parry gets away with it because you know he's just a generally good person Teddy gets away with it because how can you not have the ultimate respect for that guy and, and yourself the same thing you know nobody ever has a, a bad word to say about you so you're doing something you're either doing something really right or something really wrong
3: <laughs> exactly and you know I, I really try to carry that into my everyday life like i, I just love people i love weirdos i'm a weirdo I don't think it's that hard to just love each other, and we all have quirks and ticks, but that's what makes everybody great, you know. I, I, I just I'm who I am, I guess, you know, and that has a lot to do with my upbringing, I think.
0: Well, we truly appreciate you for it. Thank you, Johnny Hauser, for joining us again. Uh, the website is valiskaiaowa If people want to find out more about the house and to book an investigation themselves. Absolutely. and, uh, And we look forward to seeing you on the upcoming season finale of Ghost Talkers.
3: Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It was good talking to you.
0: Likewise, and we'll talk again soon.
3: Yep, we'll see you soon.
0: Have a good night. That is the one and only Johnny Houser. Again, you can check him out on Ghost Stalkers. coming up, the season finale. Uh, it'll be a week from this Thursday. This Thursday, the guys will actually be investigating the Wheatlands Plantation in Tennessee, and then that will be followed by that episode at the Farrar School. So six locations that nobody's ever gone to before.
1: The, the Fox School is pretty cool. you been, been there? Yeah, they do a Paracon there, and uh, it, it was pretty outstanding the first year that I went
0: I I will tell you. I spent a lot of time talking to people on the phone involved with this. When I hung up the phone with Nancy after talking to her for I think it was was probably close to three hours, uh, the initial conversation I had with her. And when I hung up the phone, I just sat back and I said, "You know what? That's what's good about the paranormal is you get to meet nice people like that. You get to meet nice people people like her, like John Tenney, like Johnny Hauser, like Chad, like you, John. You know, it it seems like the right people are in it for the right reasons, and uh, and hopefully." They'll stay in it for a long time, and, and uh, so we're glad that we were able to actually get the story out there about we will be back next week with another edition of the program. You can tune in every Saturday night at 10 o'clock. We will be here. Well, I mean, we've got the Bruin season, so we might start a little bit late, but generally they let us go on okay. We'll get shifted around a little bit for some of the uh, the West Coast games. But uh, we'll be here every Saturday night to talk with you about the paranormal. SpookySouthCoast.com is our website if you'd like to find out more or get the past episodes. So until next week, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie listening at home, for John Brightman, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooked. Check.